president went out and said uh, there was an attempted, a failed attempted insurrection. That's a massive, massive thing. That's lying to treason. And what you have then is, uh, uh, you know, a few loudmouths being arrested, one or two, uh, you know, violent um, uh, lootists uh, arrested, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the cases sort of going nowhere. And it's going to take years for even those who have been arrested to be successfully prosecuted. Hi there, this is Soli Mueng. Welcome to Worldview. This is another episode of Worldview, of course. And here at Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our perspective or, or our own worldview, as it were. So today we're going to have a really exciting discussion with Kanita Hunter. Many of you know her as a very um, outspoken, very uh, successful investi investigative journalist in South Africa. She's very prolific in, in her writing, but also in her commentary on what's going on in South Africa. Last year, following those, those really bad um, lootings and um, riots that took place in essentially KZN and Gauté in South Africa, she was also there. She observed some, a lot of what happened. She, she even wrote a book called Eight Days in July, looking at what happened and who the key players were in that discussion, how it started, how it ended. And of course, there are still many questions that we, we want asking. The world was watching Sri Lanka. The reputation and ramifications of Sri Lanka were really, really bad. And they continue, people continue to ask questions about what happened, what if, if it could happen again, what happens if Suma goes chain. So Kanita, welcome. Lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. How do we start this discussion? Okay, maybe I, I, I didn't tell people that you're also the political editor at News24. It is important, isn't it? Uh, we have very strong investigative in, and independent media in Africa, which I think we should all be proud of because a lot of the stuff that has taken place over the years, even before Zuma came, uh, came to power, uh, came to our knowledge thanks to the work done by our investigative journalists in South Africa. I think that we they are an, an asset we should be very, very proud of. In Elsewhere in Africa, this sort of thing doesn't happen. You start speaking against power, a lot worse things happen to you than Suleiman and ending up leaving South Africa. <laughs> but anyway, and Kanita, let's go, let's go to July 2021 in South Africa. We know, at least we think, that Zuma or you know, Zuma being arrested, the imminent arrest of Zuma and the which took place in the end, at least he handed himself over to be to be incarcerated, was at the root cause of this thing. But when you really take it, you know, a broader view, a, when you look back at it, it seems like this thing was very well coordinated. What happened? Yeah, so we can't talk about what happened in July, Soli, without looking at the months preceding it, right? And to say what characterized it. And, they, and, and this was, um, a long time coming in the sense that former president Jacob Zuma has consistently, uh, you know, flirted with with the, uh, you know, abuse uh, or, or violation of the rule of law and almost, uh, you know, daring uh, uh, the court to, 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 to jail him as if, you know, it would not and, and uh, you know, having a complete disregard for the rule of law. 
Eventually, the law caught up with him. He was uh, found guilty of contempt of court in a very famous judgment that was delivered by Justice Sisi Kampepe at the end of June. He was then incarcerated for 15 months, or meant to be incarcerated for 15 months. You would recall that this was in relation to his uh, non-compliance with the Zondel Commission uh, uh, inquiry, so the State right. Capital Commission inquiry, investigating uh, allegations of, of state capture, corruption, etc. Um, uh, in, in the years that uh, pr uh, former President Jacob Zuma was uh, the head of state. Now, he did not comply with the commission. He did not comply with the initial court order of the Constitutional Court. They then went back to the court and he almost dared the court to rule him, uh, to, to jail him rather. This was a consistent approach of, of the former president, you know, disregarding the judiciary, uh, talking ill of the Constitutional Court um, and almost daring them again to, 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 to send him to prison and then um, threatening civil unrest if they had to dare take that action, right? And then we saw the judgment and he was meant to be incarcerated, uh, hand himself over, he did not do that. Um, there was then uh, a plan in place to arrest him and that, you know, seemingly opened the floodgates of this level of, of unrest that South Africa had never seen in its democratic dispensation. Now, when you talk about, uh, you know, your, 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 your foremost question, was it orchestrated? We only saw that in the subsequent days, in the level of, uh, of how things, uh, uh, or the magnitude to which things unfolded. Um, and, and you saw patterns that, that, that uh, in, the, in, the, in the unrest that, 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 that was um, uh, to come in the days after that. Now, the question is, you know, uh, is there a mastermind sitting in some, you know, basement and, and, and pulling the strings? Um, you know, I can't give you that answer. But what I can say is that there was there was there was multiple things at play during during that time. The first, when you say, was there an orchestration? Yes, there was an orchestrated plan to take advantage of the fault lines in society to create or to stir popular unrest in an effort to create instability. That was orchestrated. That was threatened months before by former President Jacob Zuma's supporters, the likes of Carl Niehaus and, and, and the grouping that identified themselves as the MKMVA. Um, uh, his children made similar threats and, and, and other supporters as well. So there was this effort to, to, to hijack legitimate concerns of people um, and, to, and to almost try to stir this, this, this organic uh, uh, uprising of sort in the name of the former president um, in an effort to to to, to sort of uh, you know uh, pu uh, pu push the judiciary um, or the president uh, the incumbent president Salamaposa in a corner to say you know you have all of this uprising um, there there has to be some sort of leniency to so flex their muscle to 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 create a a false narrative that the the country will burn um, if you dare touch. Jacob Zuma. But there was a whole there was a whole discussion also led in part by Nsone Lemani now, who is a spokesperson for the Jacob Zuma Foundation, on the matter of minority versus majority judgments in the Constitutional Court. I mean, what happened there? 
it was completely an inconsequential uh, uh, debate because it, the Constitutional Court always has deferring, and that is the system of the Constitutional Court in that the majority judgment lays supreme and minority judgments are, are, are very technical in court. The, the court found that the president, uh, the former president rather, was guilty of contempt of court. They took a technical uh, approach in saying that that they, that he could not be uh, sent to jail. That he should rather be sort of given a warning, and there should be another. There should be another, um, you know, push for him to, you know, you should give him another injunction to go and and, and appear before the Zondo Commission. So they they were, you know, on a technical interpretation of the law in the sense that. You know, let, let's take it back to the, the, the majority judgment led by Justice Sisi Kapepe said, but you took, but there is no sign that the former president is ever going to comply with the apex court. And what happens when you have um, a former president that just says, sorry, I'm not complying. I'm not even, I'm not, he did not even defend uh, himself in the court. He did not, when, when Chief then Chief Justice Mukheng Mukheng um, wrote to his legal team and asked, "What do you think about this? This you know this um, this judge this, this this you know penalty that the commission is seeking?" And he ignored them and he opted to 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 desecrate really the constitutional court in public. And so the 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 reliance or the politicization of the minority versus majority majority judgment was a continuation of typical Jacob Zuma Stalingrad legal strategy. Where you um, where you you know focus on the technicality when you definitely are on the wrong side of the law and there's no way to argue out of that. Um, what C Justice Sisi Kampepe and the majority of the uh, Constitutional Court justices had ruled was that you have you you have to enforce the doctrine that everyone is equal before the court of law. Because if I had to be found guilty um, uh, of um, you know, contempt of court, if I was subpoenaed by the court to appear and I just didn't care to appear, um, and then I'm found guilty of the, there the, the should be a, a uh, you know, a, 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 a sort of penalty uh, as a, to a normal person. So what happens now if you allow um, a former president to just get away with complete disregard the constitution and the constitutional court um what happens to the layman when he decides no i'm not going to uh, uh respect uh, a magistrate in 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 a in a local area or a high court somewhere in Limpopo? sure but you know i'm trying to look at all these these people who, especially from the rt forces you know radical economic transformation forces there was carney house but there were also internal politics over the African National Congress. There were, there were people from the ANC Youth League in KZN who played a part, I don't know to what extent, the national body, but we never know which ANC we're talking about as a matter of fact. But let's talk about the, the police commissioner versus the police minister. It seems to me that the, that constrained relationship also didn't help in the situation. Sorry, there was a very important thing that we set out to do when we went, when we when we wrote our book, right? It's it was it was three questions: what happened, why did it happen, and why was it allowed to happen? That was that was the premise in which we walked into, and there there are different strands to what happened in July, right? And and one once you know the one strand is the apparent lawlessness that we saw, right, for eight days that persisted for eight days. Yeah. Then the other strand is the political dynamic that existed in relation to the incarceration of the former president and and, and you know the, the politics in play. But then you had a, a strong focus on the security cluster because what happened in July was a 
failure, an utter failure by the security cluster uh, for them uh, to do their work, right? Uh, the, the security cluster is mandated to keep citizens of this country safe in um, the, 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 uh, in the uh, apparent threat or against uh, any apparent threat, whether it's internal, external, right? And we have um, a, a massive security cluster in the sense that you have the police, you have the state security agency, you have the defense force, you have crime intelligence, you have, you know, um, other bodies as well, right? But, but when you look at these eight days of, of literally lawlessness that persisted, you see a very distinct failure of law enforcement, of the security cluster. What we did then is zoom in and realize that there's not, you can't say July happened because of this particular reason. There's a multitude, nuances, layers of reasons as to what contributed to this complete failure by the state, by uh, the state um, apparatus, security apparatus, and 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 at the same time, uh, you know, the different other strands as well as what happened politically in terms of the ANC, what was happening in terms of organized crime, etc. Now, to your question, well, what was the dynamic or the relationship between the police commissioner and the police minister and its implication on ha what happened in July? The reality of it is across the criminal justice system and the security cluster, there is instability in leadership. There is political and uh, civil service you know, disruptions. There is instability in the top echelons of almost all of the security apparatus. Having a police minister at odds publicly with the police commissioner is a recipe for disaster, as we've seen. Having a incapacitated crime intelligence unit was a consequence of that, right? And then, was it, just, if I can just come in, then, if we, was it a matter of politics interfering or just a, a, a strategy or inability to agree on strategy, or was it both? It was a, it was a, it was a perfect storm. It was it was politics in the sense. That there's this ongoing uh, standoff between the police commissioner and the police minister, whether you want to call it personality clashes, whether you want I mean, the police minister literally begged the president to, to, to fire uh, police commissioner Kesasi Tole at that time, right? And then there was a the thing of, you know, being of undermining um, each other and who has the authority to marshal forces. And this is obviously what is being the subject of investigation at the South African Human Rights Commission, right? So you have incapacity in police in terms of the lack of resources, the lack of stability in the top echelons of the police, the complete undermining because they've conceded in parliament that they literally um, were, were outwitted by, by what they call the insurrectionists. Uh, they kind of, they, they, they claim that people knew, um, uh, you know, in terms of deployments and that type of thing. And then you just had uh, the general chaos that comes with, the, with, the, with, with having the top brass of the police, the minister and the, and the police commissioner uh, at loggerheads with each other. The reality of it is that the police do not um, operate within um, within a silo, right? So then what you had on top of it was um, the state security agency and their spat, so the spat between two ministers, the then minister of state security, Ayanda Glodlo, and then the police commissioner, uh, the police minister, make it clearly about, you know, whether uh, intelligence was received, whether that intelligence was actionable, who, who's, whose responsibility it was to action that intelligence. And, 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 and so what you saw was these, you know, um, 
finger pointing while the chaos and while the upheaval was was taking place instead of someone stepping up and 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 nipping this violence that the unprecedented violence that we saw in the bud yeah sure so uh, this, we also live in a country where there are no consequences it is not for everybody you said it yourself earlier that if you and i were to commit a crime <laughs> they pounce on on us the next day but there are some people especially the zuma clan i mean Zuma's kids played a big role as instigators. They put a lot of fuel into the fire that was happening in KZN, in, 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 in Gauteng. But nothing has happened to them. I mean, look, if you look also, if I brought in this question, look at Duduzani Zuma, who was so much part of the, the Gupta Empire. He comes in and out of South Africa all the time. And we hear Vishami about to say, yeah, we're going to look at extraditing this, the Guptas, we're going to arrest them. But hello, the arcade business partner keeps coming in and out, flouting his wealth. Much of it can be argued to have, to have been ill-gotten. But also, he's even claiming that he, he wants to be the next president of, of South Africa. Nothing is happening to him. Nothing has happened to the Gupta kids, to, 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 to Dudzile, who was sending out all those tweets encouraging people to, to, to mayhem. Why? Do, so this is do they fear the Zumas? No, 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 no. This is indicative of a serious crisis of, 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 of the criminal justice system and the National Prosecuting Authority. If anything, July has proven how broken the system is, that literally there are people who are caught looting stores and burning stores down, and they were left off the, because we just do not have that forensic capacity. We do not have that investigative capacity. We also don't have the political will, as you like, as you've seen. You, you, the underfunding of the National Prosecuting Authority, the years and years of decay, it's just a continuation of that. It's almost as if, um, if you were a, 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 a Zuma lieutenant, you know the damage that was done to the criminal justice system, yeah. the constant underfunding, the decimation of capacity, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why you saw the brazenness in which things were done. Also, you have rogue elements within the criminal justice system, which despite years and years and years of President Ramaphosa promising reform, you've not seen a cleanup, um, a su substantial cleanup. What you've seen over the years is people like Shamila Batoi being appointed into senior positions but uh, being incapable of mopping up the institutions that they lead. And as a result, what you have is promises of a cleanup and no sub, uh, 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 real action. As a result, what you have then is um, an emboldenedness by people who were, uh, uh, you know, part of the rogue state capture years, um, you know, having their tentacles in the criminal justice system, in law enforcement, um, and taking full advantage of it. Because if you were at the center of it, and that's what makes this particular scenario of what happened in July last year very different. Someone asked me, do you believe that it was an insurrection? Um, and I say, do you, do you think that there is a word? What word could you describe part of a governing party who worked for the freedom of this country using tactics that they use to um, against uh, an oppressive apartheid regime to uh, to, to destabilize uh, the parts of their own government that they run. I mean, it's quite completely bizarre. Completely bizarre. Um, this was not an opposition party versus an incumbent government. This was not a rebel group. This was literally factions within the state factions within uh, the, 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 the governing party. And so <coughs> you ask, 
you know, how come Judizani uh, uh, Zuma or Judizile Zuma have not been arrested? The reality of it is there absolutely no capacity within the state uh, for that to happen. The second thing is that it's another manifestation of putting the party, the ANC interests before the interest of the rule of law in this country. And so what you then have is that people uh, opting to arrest low level, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, loudmouths uh, uh, and, and under the guise of arresting uh, uh, insurrectionists. But the reality of it is that the ANC was responsible for what happened in July. It's structured movements, it's leaders, it's you know, people who worked within the state in places like Etekwini and other uh, uh, places had a very, very big role. But more than that, what happens to um, uh, the, the the police commissioner of KwaZulu Natal? What happens to the head of, uh, 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 of the, the the crime intelligence, who, where there was actual failure? You've not seen any consequences in terms of you had a job to safeguard the people of South Africa, and there was no consequences. We literally just saw a little, resh a small, tiny reshuffle of ministers, and that was all the consequences we received um, as the people. And three hundred and sixty people died. So if you do not have have an obvious kind of accountability of who should you saying you literally the president went out and said uh, there was an attempted a failed attempted insurrection that's a massive massive thing that's aligned to treason and what you have then is uh, uh you know a few loudmouths being arrested one or two uh, you know violent um, uh, lootists uh, arrested uh, you know and and a lot of the cases sort of going nowhere and it's going to take years for even those who have been arrested to be successfully prosecuted and so as a result um there is a recipe or there's a precedent set rather that says you can do this you can get away with this in south africa because South Africa's security apparatus, law enforcement, is completely decimated. Yeah. But I mean, you, you're ascribing the inability to arrest or to go after the Zuma children as a problem of capacity in the uh, uh, criminal justice system. But sure, this politics as well. I mean, why are they, they know them, they've seen the two inspector do silly. Why are they not at least calling them in to say, you can't do this, I don't know, charge them? Because now the, the impression is being given that if you're a Zuma, you can, you're, you're untouchable. It's not good for South Africa, surely. Absolutely. But uh, like I'm saying to you is that is that the situation is so bad that there are literally people caught in the act themselves of, 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 of you know, committing crimes that just can, can get away with it. So there's almost a culture of immunity. And, then, and the second thing, it's a, it's a sense of like politics like i said earlier where we can't sort of further poke the bear and so they could get away with it and 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 you know you 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 arresting you know one or two other people who were instigators on social media um in an effort to kind of you know build this case like i said uh it's it's it's, it's symptomatic of the real crisis at hand in the in the national prosecution. you cannot look at the indifference to the to the to the uh, to the instigation by uh, the, the people that you've mentioned without realizing how it fits into the bigger picture of how broken the system actually is and how uh, we are at the mercy of politics, really. Uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated by you know, trying to play a guessing game between on whether Sikhe Zekalala Premier of KZN is on the RET side or on the on the on the uh, Ramaphosa side, or maybe he knows which side of his brain is buttered. I mean, he was almost immediately soon after this the riots began. He was 
begging the president to to pardon and to pardon Zuma, uh, but surely he understands that there's a whole process. The president cannot just wake up one day and say, "Okay, I pardon you, I pardon you." This is not court. Yeah, so the, the comments by Sisha Ziklal at the time to say, you know, we need to just pardon Jacob Zuma, felt uh, spoke and you know it sort of fed into the the narrative at the time that you know if if if, you, if this wouldn't have been happening had the constitutional court could not be allowed to make that sort of judgment, and it just speaks to this level of lawlessness, the the, the level of party before state, the level of um you know uh, you have to the interest of one political party uh, should be placed above um the the well-being and the and the stability of the state and that for me just showed how broken our politics are in so many ways obviously then we saw the level of of unrest you saw the level of economic uh distrust uh, destruction um i mean just look at it now there's sort of 50 billion rand wiped off the economy kezaren is ailing among amount of jobs that it, that has lost um etc um and 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 there was a sense of him now you know for, as the premier to to sort of go out and 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 uh, you know call for 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 uh, an end to the unrest you would you would you would read in our book about you know how he sort of came out once things had stabilized trying to you know himself try to arrest a looter which is completely bizarre but 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 what what you but what you saw then is 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 it the reality of the situation that you face that that they were people who and their leaders of this of this country and and and, 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 and um, a province like KwaZulu-Natal, who believed, uh, uh, um, you know, that 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 the politics should come before, or party politi political interest should come before the rule of law, at least. Now, when we fall into this narrative of is Sisi Zikalala RIT, is he not RIT? It feeds in to this narrative that that we must be defined by what factionism in the ruling party looks like, and it shouldn't be the case. You are the premier. You are elected by the people of KwaZulu-Natal to lead them. They, they, they should not be. They should not even be this thing in the back of our minds to say, well, of course he would say something like this. He's aligned to the RET faction. No, there's no such thing. Uh, you should be aligned to the rule of law. And if you're not aligned to the rule of law, you are aligned to lawlessness, and that is how we ought to have looked at it and ought to have responded. Yeah, but uh, let's talk about. The race factor. Um, there have always been a level of tension between the Zulus, who are mostly Black African, and the South Africans of Indian origin in South Africa. There have always been prominent people who said some really silly things in the past, and it seems like somebody is trying, or tried at least during this the eight days in July last year. To take advantage of this and to make to almost to to um to 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 raise the levels of tension between the two communities, what really happened there? Can can it be? Can we heal from that? What should happen for it to never happen again? So so we write in our book, Eight Days of July, uh, uh, how South Africa was actually the perfect tinderbox, right? It was it was it was it was perfectly flammable in the sense that you had mass unemployment you still had a persisting of the apartheid of a legacy that 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 continued in in with regards to apartheid spatial planning with regards to the to the um uh, you know the, the distribution of land and wealth right you you had it in relation to the massive inequality that persists right so so this has been something that south africa has been warned about over and over and over again in relation to uh, um 
that we are a ticking time box, that you're going to have the civil up, up, uprising because of these fault lines in society, right? And so there's no denying the fact that this fault lines exist and that um, the apartheid spatial planning, as it were, and it still is very predominantly in areas like KwaZulu-Natal, where you have the haves and the haves not very distinct uh, along racial lines. And so, so what 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 you then had was the people behind this unrest. They 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 presided over this 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 the situation, right? You former President Jacob Zuma was the president for, for, for almost a decade and so were his supporters in office. And so they sort of looked at the front lines, the fault lines of society, perhaps that were perpetuated or, 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 or were continued under their watch and said, one day we're going to weaponize this for our own benefit. And that's what they tried to do. And that's why you saw a very distinct, um, and, 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 and for me that, that shows the vulgarity of what happened in July, in the sense that, you know, we kind of knew that this was um, what was perpetuated under our watch um, uh, as a, a governing party. Um, and so what we're going to do then is we're going to light this flame because we know it's a, a very uh, flammable situation. We know that South Africa's um, rainbow nation uh, is just a veneer and that, they, that Below it are these deep cracks in society, unemployment, inequality, poverty, um, the legacy of apartheid that's persisting 30 years almost. And so there was, and that's why you would see that we obviously relied heavily on, 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 on trials and hundreds and hundreds of documents um, uh, exclusively uh, obtained by us um, uh, from the Security Custom Intelligence. And there was this admission that there was an effort to, to weaponize these fault lines in society, the issues around about, you know, um, tense race relations in an effort to create this, 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 this facade that this unrest was legitimate, that it was actually uh, uh, a real, you know, social unrest or civil unrest uh, 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 that, that would, you know, take a life of its own and the country would be engulfed in flames uh, because it's very difficult to, to, to sort of marshal a real, a real um, uh, unrest in the name of former President Jacob Zuma. But it's easier to do that when you put communities against each other. And you saw what happened in places like Phoenix and elsewhere, where, you, where, where there was enough through fake news and through social media, etc., there was enough to light the, the tinderbox and the flames sort of just started continuing. What you then had was communities turning on each other uh, uh, um, and, and, and the vulgarity of all of it is that uh, it was by people who were once given a chance or were, are given a chance to, to resolve these issues around, around the persisting inequality, poverty and unemployment in South Africa. But do you think there should be more effort when there is peace or relative peace right now for people in the two communities to start doing things together so that they don't give another opportunity to any opportunists in the future who might try to weaponize this again because those things exist i mean i don't think that's all that defines the relationship between people of uh, indian ancestry and and the, the african black african ones but i think that we should now we see there's a potential problem here should we not do it between more now in relative peace to make sure nobody ever gets to try and use it again absolutely and i think that the one argument that is made is that a point that i persistently preached after the unrest is that 
we cannot outsource the solutions to our problems to the same people who chose to weaponize our problems for their own self-interest. And so if there's a lesson that July has taught us is that these race relations, these in the inequality that persists, the, the, the sort of crazy poverty levels that persist alongside extreme wealth in this country is uh, unsustainable. It's unsustainable for the peace of this country. And so we as ordinary South Africans have to talk, have to have that conversation around, um, you know, it's, 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 it's unsustainable for us to, for the status quo to remain and for us to constantly be outsourcing the solutions to the politicians who literally proved to us in that time. And when I say politicians, I mean, not only in the governing party, across the political spectrum, um, that they would rather benefit. They would rather exploit these tensions. You saw what happened with the Democratic Alliance after that as well. You'd rather exploit these tensions instead of working together to build this country. And so if there's a lesson for us is that we have to work together to build the country ourselves as, as communities, as, 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 as civil society, as, 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 as um, ordinary citizens. And, and the one um, observation that I make um, in, in one of the latter chapters of the book where I reflect on the days that, um, that, that took place and, and you know, President in after is 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 the resilience of South Africans is something that we should not ignore, and that for me, yes, there was this this really ugly uh, um, uh, resurgence of this racial tensions that 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 you know was almost simmered down for a long time. Um, at the same time, you saw you saw you saw stories of of extreme resilience that, in spite of the state not looking after its citizens, in spite of politicians not playing their role a role and rather doing the opposite of igniting. Uh, uh, um, the, the civil, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, tensions. Uh, uh, communities came together to support each other in the form of whether it was, you know, uh, 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 food at the time, where there were shortages and that kind of thing. And so, while we have this discussion, I am not one of those who are completely, you know, um, uh, uh, despondent in 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 the in the in the uh, notion that uh, you know South Africa's you know this tension that exists is just going to continue and it's going to you know it's, it, it can be better because when communities work together you, you saw the positive uh, 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 that 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 uh, that came out of it and so I think that um, if July told us anything is that we cannot outsource uh, uh, our problems solutions to our problems to the same people who benefit from those problems or from the perpetuation of those problems for their own self-interest. And the second uh, thing is that do not underestimate the resilience of our people. We just need to build on that now as society, to build on that resilience and say uh, it is unsustainable for us to have these fault lines of race relations, of inequality, and we need to work together. Yeah, we are having this conversation and Usually the people, the kind of people who listen to these kind of conversations are not the people who should, are not all of the people who should listen to these conversations. I mean, uh, people still support Zuma. They still coalesce around Zuma, even uh, supposedly intelligent people. But they know the role that this man played, children state Tabia. They know he handed our country on a platter to the Guptas and his kids uh, were, were involved in those businesses. What, what must happen for South Africans to realize that we must be equal before the law, including people like Zuma, who have so many answers to give to us, to the questions that are being asked by the media, by South Africans, by the cause, that he's been running away from all. What, what must happen for South Africans to wake up to this? Yeah, I think that, you know, 
for, for us, when you look at those who are supporting Paul Prince and Jacob Zuma, we, we, we must not overplay it in the sense that, you know, there's this sort of this mass movement around him. Yes, he's a popular leader in terms of where he comes from. But the reality of it is that a lot of the people that support him are the people who benefited from his time in office, number one, and now no longer benefit. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is people who fail, who would possibly say suffer the same fate as him uh, in terms of incarceration, people who have literally cases hanging over their neck. Uh, uh, Carl Niehaus, for example, is a known fraudster. Uh, 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 and I, I mean, uh, Ace Mahushili, for example, facing criminal charges that could go on and on and on. So it's, it's, it's this, and, and, and again, for me, it's it's indicative of the tolerance of the governing party. It's it's you know there's the, the still that embrace of former President Jacob Zuma despite what he's wreaked in this country. And so we are as South Africans almost at the mercy of the governing party who 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 um, you know uh, uh, sort of allow this to, to to be perpetuated in the name of politics, in the name of of, of uh, you know popular politics, um, and 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 we just suffer the consequences. Yeah, I think you're being careful. I'm not careful. I, we're not almost at the mercy of the governing party. We are at the mercy of the misgoverning party. That's not, that's me speaking. It's not you speaking. So <laughs> you can attribute that to me. But look, Kanita, um, it's, it's, we, we can't get out of this thing. Of course, South Africans are resilient. Of course, in the end, we come together, we hold hands, we do all these beautiful things to say, you can't do this to us. But these things keep happening. We, we don't have the kind of leader who appreciates the, the, the fragile, beautiful diversity of, of our nation, South Africa. And don't you think that's a problem? That we, we don't have a leader who's able to, to, to reach to all sides and say, guys, 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 come on, stop it. We don't have that leader. And it's mm -hmm. a problem. I think it also says, you know, yes, it's a problem. But I've been thinking lately about a general leadership problem in South Africa, beyond beyond politics, beyond uh, beyond the governing party. I mean, just the weak state of the opposition hugely disturbs me. It disturbs me immensely that we have an unorganized uh, um, opposition in this country. Um, I, I, I think about, I think about, you know, who would have the authority to, 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 you know, to, to be a, a, a um, kind of, you know, an authoritative voice around race relations. We, 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 we're losing that generation of people, Desmond Tutu's, um, you, you know, your, your, that, that, that generation of elders who had that moral authority. And that for me shows, a, you know, a huge decline. It shows it's, it's, it's a massive problem. We, we are running out of people with the moral high ground to say, this can't happen. Or let's, how do we fi find tangible solutions? Like I said, July, um, and it's almost as if we've just sort of continued business as usual. A, no consequences. B, no effort to, to, to deal with the underlining problems that, that led to what happened uh, around, you know, poverty, unemployment, racial inequality. Um, you know, there's no real tangible effort around, around brokering peace in suburbs and areas like, like, uh, like Phoenix, for example, where, you know, it's controlled and, and effort can continue and you can really put resources in, 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 in using that as a, as a, you know, almost like a test case of how to deal with issues like this and, and try to, to, to span it out around the country. Like, like, like I've said before, South Africa limps from one crisis to another crisis, and we just sort of move along. It's almost 
you know, sometimes there's the sense that we've, we've forgotten what state capture really was. We just sort of, you know, it's like almost more and more of the same. Now, if you look at what happened with the PPE corruption around COVID-19 procurement, almost the same levels of, of, of state capture. And so what happens then is that South Africans are just so exhausted. And, and for me, an exhausted uh, uh, electorate is, is extremely dangerous. You saw it in the local government elections next, last year, uh, particularly in Guadalupe and more specifically in Etequini, where voter turnout was extremely low, where people just realized that you know, we rather tap out from 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 politics uh, or the political system or the democratic system uh, because well, we are not being represented. And for me, that that is a bigger crisis uh, 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 than, than than actually you know the violence that we saw because you have more and more people uh, not playing a part in the democratic process, and so you have a bigger risk of the democratic processes being undermined. Do you think? that uh, the, the appetite to arrest or to jail and incarcerate Zuma is gone, given what happened. I mean, the courts could still be, this matter is not sorted yet, right? The courts have said he wasn't supposed to be released in the first place. I know that they, they're now playing, they are standing at games, but at some point there might be another ruling that says he is going to, to go back to jail. And now we have national, the, the ANC's elective conference coming, political uh, will or no will, will play a big part in there. Is this man ever going to go to jail again, Kalita? I think that it's obviously going to be laid up to the judges because there is now this this appeal that's going on in relation to the decision by former correctional uh, uh, services commissioner Arthur Fraser to re to release uh, the former president despite uh, recommendation by the parole board that he was not eligible for medical parole. Um, but I think that what what you see in terms of especially for a pre uh, current president Sir Ramaphosa and and his executive, there's almost a buying of time and to let the court make the decision. Um, and so that it's not it's not then uh, their decision, uh, and, and 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 so they don't have to face with the, the political consequences of it. So it's almost a you know kicking it for touch, uh, kicking the can down the, the road. If you could continue that metaphor of you know let the courts decide, let the courts decide. Uh, and and at the end of the day, when the court speaks, the court speaks. Um, and I suppose that that there's going to be another test of of our respect for the rule of law as a state uh, when when that has to happen. Uh, when eventually. Yeah, sure. This is scary. Now, when you look back after having written this book with your colleagues, do you like? Uh, do you have any afterthoughts? Like maybe we could have put this this way. We could have added this. Are you? Do you look back at the product and say we did a good job? I think I think we did a significantly good job in the sense, and I'm very proud of the book that we wrote. We wrote under the the time frame. Firstly, we wrote it within a month, less than a month. And we did not just give you a culmination, a, 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 a sort of a, you know, a, a collage of newspaper reports or, or news reports. We really, in that short limited uh, time that we had, gave you information that most people didn't know. We literally went into the belly, into the belly of, of, of the criminal uh, justice system, of the state security apparatus. We told you what, what NICOC, the Intelligence Coordinating Committee, were discussing during that time. We told you what was happening around, uh, um, around the, the, the you know, intelligence agencies at the time. If I have a regret, it's probably, uh, uh, you know, us not overplaying the level of information that we actually uh, accessed, uh, you know, and, 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 and to, 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 to make people understand, um, you know, the depth at which we 
collated this information that it was not just a, a, a you know precursory desktop research that we did and we really went thoroughly investigated this matter uh, uh, in the short time that we did uh, and 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 the, and the sad part for me was that this book was meant to sort of you know do answer those three questions that 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 I set out in the beginning of this interview um, and and to be the basis for more research for more investigation and for me the fact that you know you're not we're not going beyond what we already know now for me is very worrying it's very concerning i would like to see more research i would like us um you know for someone to, to to pull apart the different strands and take it further in the sense of you know what is it about uh, uh the race relations south africa that was created such a fertile ground for communities who've lived side by side uh, uh, uh each other to to literally pull out guns and start killing each other in the name of of, of, of nothing really um and so and so for me, I would love to see more research in that regard. I think, if, if anything, this book was uh, um, uh, a long-form investigative uh, reportage project. Uh, it was uh, our effort to, to 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 document what happened, so that it's not so it's not lost. So the gravity of what happened during this time is not lost in the politicking, in the in the grandstanding, in the in the and 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 frankly in this uh, uh, you know Alzheimer's that we suffer as a country, where we where we where we literally just forget um, and keep moving. And so for us, it's it, it is important. Um, and, and I think a very big redeeming moment for us as authors was at the start of the South African Human Rights Commission inquiry into the eight days in July. They, they, they relied heavily on our book um, and, 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 and noted that it would play an important part in guiding their own investigation. And for us, uh, you know, that, that, that shows how, that for me, that was, you know, it, yes, it, it, it was, um, you know, a boost in our egos, but also a little bit worrying in the sense that uh, we, we, we do not have uh, uh, anyone within the state that has an authoritative voice uh, uh, that could say exactly what happened and why, why it did happen. Yeah, we still don't have that voice. <laughs> Look, Kenita, uh, you, you mentioned Alzheimer's. You mentioned South Africans moving from one crisis to the uh, to another, which is very true. The, there's also the matter of the intelligence services, SSA, CI, who surely should learn from this book. And perhaps, do you think they are now paying attention to these things, and that they would prevent them before they happen, where the same thing would happen again, or do you think they'll just like We'll see what happens when we get there. We'll, we'll cross the bridge when we get to it. Yeah. So, so I mean, for me, I I have this, you know, uh, uh, this sort of mild obsession, if you like, with, with the state security agency in the, in, the, in the sense that it's very indicative of, of where we are as a country and, 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 and the consequences of this hollowing out of, of the state, number one, under the former president. But more importantly for me is the lack of political will by the incumbent administration to fix the problems that, we see, that we've seen. And so what you see is a persistence of old problems and, and if not, an intensification of it. There, if anything, there was an opportune moment for, for President Ramaphosa to fix uh, um, the State Security Agency. He commissioned a report that pointed to say that there's these rogue elements within the State Security Agency as widespread looting of funds. Uh, the Sydney, the report by uh, Sydney Mufumandi uh, was was very, very, very telling of what happened. But but I make this analogy over and over again. We are we are governed by people 
who would rather stand with the rest of us and shout, the house is burning, the house is burning. And, and instead of A, uh, getting hold of the arsonist and B, actually fanning out those flames and actually extinguishing that fire. And so, so, so for me, that's a bigger, bigger, bigger uh, problem that's endemic across uh, 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 the, the, the state. Um, you see it in, in, in state-owned enterprises as well. But, but when you talk about the state security agency, um, I am not one of those people that believe, uh, you know, pointing one or two uh, big names um, will fix the problem or making, you know, bold moves, uh, you know, changing the, the political uh, uh, reportage line from a minister to the presidency is going to change anything. I think the five of that institution is completely polluted by corruption, by maladministration and governance, much like so many other institutions of state in this country. So the president Ramaphosa has since, I think it's maybe partly because of those, the eight days in July, uh, brought in the intelligence services to report into the presidency and, and not to a ministry as it was the case before. I mean, it's a two, two sharp daughters, two edged sword, isn't it? Do you think it's good in the short term? Do you think it's good in the long term as well? That the presidency takes a responsibility for that, and and, and if let me continue, when we had Mandela, it's widely being said that when we set up our constitution in the early days, we had Nelson Mandela as the potential president of South Africa, you know, he became president, and people thought all presidents would be like him, and we've seen what happened after Mandela. Now the presidency is taking all these intelligence services into the presidency. He's not going to be there forever. Is it a good thing? Okay, the first, let's start here. The president has not explained to the public the justification, the rationale behind that decision, as this was the problem with having a minister of intelligence, and I have decided to, to centralize it in my office because of this particular. He has not explained it. We've assumed, we've, we've come up with our own theories as to why he took the decision, but he himself has not said the reason. Where, you know, it could be as simple as saying, I've been undermined, intelligence does not reach my desk, intelligence gets sits on a minister's desk, and therefore I want it to be centralized in my office. The second thing is, is, is just the chaos of the administration of that sector and that, and that institution. They literally, you, okay, now you have it in the presidency. There was unclear. There was there was no clarity about who handles, uh, you know, answering to, uh, to the uh, uh, to Parliament uh, and 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 ha and signing off. I mean, does the president himself? That was a question I've asked them for months. Will the president every time there's an appointment, every time money has to be allocated, does the president now sign this thing, right? And that's why now you saw in the last uh, two weeks or so there was this announcement that Monty Gugumbele, the minister in the presidency, is going to be politically responsible. Uh, for 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 um for that uh, uh for that uh, portfolio. Uh, portfolio but 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 then then you have on the other hand uh, you have um absolutely no movement in terms of the stability of the administrative sector you don't have you don't have uh, a head of domestic intelligence you don't have a permanent director general of intelligence the 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 head the of the foreign branch of intelligence is current face, currently facing a suspension and a disciplinary process that's going on and on and on. You know, Robert McBride not not being in his position. You have a second tier of, of intelligence. So, like I said, 
grand gestures that are empty, that we don't even know the reason why it's happening, and we don't even know whether there's any correlation between the action taken and the solutions that are required. And so for me, uh, um, I, I, you know, it, it, it doesn't even go as far as saying that, the, the, you know, the, 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 having a discussion around whether, you know, it was a good thing or a bad thing, because we don't even know why it actually uh, happened, you know, and, and I mean, and, and as a result, as a result, then you, it feeds into this narrative um, that the president uh, centralized intelligence into his office so that he could sort of, you know, there's a possibility of him abusing that 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 right. that, that political power. Um, but like, but like I said, it's all murky, and that's the that's the problem of the entire criminal justice system. You have an indecisive president. Number one, you are then followed by this political upheaval on a ministerial level in literally all, whether it's defense, whether it's state security agency, whether it is uh, the police. And then you have complete instability in the top echelons of the state security apparatus. And that is a recipe of disaster compo compounded by underfunding, as well as years and years and years of rogue elements. I suspect that the, the average South African either doesn't care or doesn't understand the potential ramifications of this era. Surely somebody should push the president to come up with some kind of sunset clauses, right? Because he's not going to be there forever. He might be taken out of office in, in come their next electoral. Uh, who knows who the person who takes over from him might be even worse, you know, and they might abuse these things to to look into your life, your personal life, my personal life, to, to really, really go into people's lives. Uh, Surely we should push the president to say, we, I'm just doing this to, to clean up house for two years or three years. After three years, whether I'm here or not, intelligence services must go back to where they must be. Yeah, and th that's one part of it. The other part of it is just do the reform you promised. Literally, yeah. you you have the Sydney Mufamadi report. You have the president is opting not to follow through on the reforms that he himself commissioned. He commissioned these reports around the reformation of it. And that for me is a wasted opportunity. And so uh, uh, the whole the whole uh, selling point of the Ramaphosa administration was that it, he was going to stop the rot. He did not stop the rot. In fact, it has become more entrenched. And with decisions like this, uh, it, 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 it creates the impression that he is okay with it persisting. Yeah. Kanita, this has been an awesome conversation. I know that we, I just want to ask you this one. Is there a question that you hoped I would ask you about your book that I didn't ask you? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you should have asked me, um, how do you write a book in, in, in uh, or whether I recommend writing a book in a few weeks? And I would say absolutely not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, I really hope um, that that people will read this book and and understand why it was so important for us to to make that sacrifice and to do into to probe and to to write this book in the way that we have in also in a way that was very accessible and that was very important Solly, for us to do that to not write for people who are in the know to write for the ordinary South African who was completely shell shocked by what happened was completely destabilized by the events of July um, and for the attacks on their and, and concerned about attacks on their family lives and you know for people who could not get access to food and and and, and, and groceries during that time. For me, that was the most important part of writing this book as a public service to say uh, what happened, why did it happen, why was it allowed to happen, and hopefully uh, it would never happen again.
Yeah, there are still definitely too many loose ends out there. You might have to write a sequel, hopefully not on the basis <laughs> of another set of riots and looting happening. But thank you, thank you so much for making the time to be with us here at Worldview. Again, to our listeners out there, this is Solim Wang here at Worldview. As you can see, we explore everybody's perspective so that we can enrich our own worldview. Thank you again for being with us. Please don't forget to like as much as you can and to share widely the, 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 the link to, to our interview. But also, please subscribe. Be part of our broader community that's growing and it should be thanks to you. Thank you again. Thank you, Kanita. And have a nice day, Fela. Thank you very much. <laughs>